Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Grady will make the pass. McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does. Got it! Ross and Amir. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gets it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. It's hit from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Very well. Thank you. We are recording live on 1026 Boxing Day in Canada, also right after a Toronto Raptors win at Miami. Brian, what was your kind of takeaways from the Miami Heat game? Uh, that our guys are very gritty, that we really had to dig, dig deep for this one. Um, I was, It was a horrible first half, particularly the second quarter, which bordered on unwatchable. Um, but the uh, I would say that Nick Nurse used Kawhi Leonard almost perfectly in terms of the number of minutes that, that he clearly can cope with and be at his at his best. And uh, the rest of the guys came through when they were needed. We defended well in the fourth quarter and actually finally made some shots. So it was a very exciting ending to what had been up to that point a dreadful game. Right. It it felt like a just a slugfest kind of if you're comparing it to an NFL game it felt like a field goal fest and the fact that nobody could seem to get a rhythm really and Miami to their credit this is how they want to play they're not the most talented team as far as top end talent they don't have a ton of guys that you fear night in and night out but they have a lot of guys and they just beat you to death they out physical you and this game was played just how Miami wanted to play it However, Toronto found a way to pull it out at the end, even if it wasn't exactly pretty at every moment. No, it certainly wasn't pretty, but uh, it's the result that matters. And, and for a skinny lineup to, to get a win in, in a hostile place like Miami is uh, very encouraging to stop their win streak at five. 
Right. You mentioned skinny lineup. Hassan Whiteside, particularly in the first half, had his way with Toronto, and you never have felt JV's absence more than in the first half of this game when Hassan was absolutely tearing Serge Ibaka apart. Well, and I'm sure that, although Serge would never admit to this, he's got to be feeling somewhat apprehensive about getting back on, on the court and not wanting to find himself with a sore knee once again. So he's going to be playing gingerly and, and not at full throttle. And yes, you're right, without uh, JV, who can lean on Whiteside like nobody else on, on the team can, and score against Whiteside, uh, it, it really, <laughs> that guy can do a lot of damage, and he did. Exactly. Uh, another thing that I noticed from the game was just how much zone both teams were playing. I'm not sure I've ever seen an NBA game where both teams so consistently relied on either a 2-3 for Miami or a 3-2 for Toronto. Both teams played zone more than I ever remember them playing. You know, I think that this is something of a reaction to the fact that the players are simply not used to uh, defending with the, the, the oddball lineup of, of teammates that are on the floor at any time these days, particularly for the Raptors with so many guys coming in and coming out of the lineup. So... At that, at that stage, instead of having to communicate as, as precisely as they'll have to, particularly when the playoffs come and they're playing man-to-man, -man, uh, they can get a little bit lazy, get their arms up and, and play a 2-3 or a 3-2 or whatever they want, a 2-1-2, and uh, perhaps give themselves a, a few minutes to relax and, and not have to be on, you know, kind of uh, turned up to 11, so to speak, in terms of the defensive awareness. I'm not saying you can be lazy in a zone, but you don't have to be quite as, as precise uh, and vulnerable as you are when somebody gets a step on you on a man-to-man. -man. I think this is a start of a trend as teams kind of go with more like-sized individuals. I'm not so certain that we won't see more teams running zone more often. And you saw tonight it was particularly effective. When you have five guys who are lengthy and can cover a lot of ground, it really can be an effective way to cover the three-point line when you don't have individual matchups that you can lean on. So as teams run these more like-sized kind of positionless basketball, I wouldn't be surprised if zone starts to find its way back into the NBA landscape a little more regularly. I'm not saying teams will use it as their primary defense, but I wouldn't be surprised if multiple teams have zone defenses that they implement semi-regularly. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I think we will see it more. I think that it's... It's a, it's a useful uh, look to give it a team, particularly if they're starting to burn you. And, yes, it is, should be particularly effective against deep shooting because you can get your, you get your three guys or two guys out there, get your arms up in the air. And, and certainly when I was playing the game, we were always top air coaches. Uh, the, the zone defense can help you against deep shooting. It cannot help you um, on drives. And, uh, and I think that that's exactly right. And, and as you say, with the game going positionless and lineups getting smaller and smaller, uh, I, th I think that we will see more of this. And I think teams, teams have to do it because I really think that the NBA is, is like the NFL. It really is uh, an injury-dependent and an injury-changed league on a game-by-game -game basis. And it's really demanding on coaches to try to improvise. And so they have to do things like this to, to survive. Do you think it's something that Toronto will continue to run even into the postseason? Oh, yeah. I, I think that um, Nick Nurse is not afraid of trying anything on either side of the ball. Even if it doesn't work, he'll say, okay, it didn't work, whatever. At least we tried it. 
He's he's not a conventional coach in that respect. And of course, he's got the advantage that he doesn't have to worry about job security. And if he if he runs a, some kind of a crazy scheme either on offense or defense, and it falls apart, so what? He's not going to get fired. So he can he can take all his risks now, learn from it, and then see and then bring out only that that which is working when the playoffs come. I agree with you. Uh, as effective as it's been this season, and perhaps teams will find a way to counter sometime between now and the start of the playoffs. But if it continues to be this this effective with teams, I'm not sure why you would put that in your back pocket when you've seen it work, you know, pretty consistently against some of the more elite teams in the NBA. At least as a way to kind of cool them off when they seem to be getting hot. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting smoked, I mean, at one point, uh, Miami went on whatever it was, an 18-0 run or something insane like that. I mean, for God's sake, call a timeout, get into a zone, and at least give them something to think about instead of them just having their way with you. Right, yeah, it's at least something to make them, they need to get out of their regular sets and run something they're not as familiar with. So I think it does do at least a momentum breaker. I think it does a great job of doing that, even if it's for short periods of time. So, as we get ready for this pod, I I mentioned to you I wanted to go over the biggest surprises for the Toronto team. We each came up with three good surprises, three bad surprises. We have not told each other those surprises. I wanted to wait for the reveal on the podcast to make it a little more authentic. So, Brian, I'll ask you, what is your first overall bad surprise from this season? Well, the the fact that, that our team's three-ball shooting has been really, really disappointing, particularly in the last 10 games or so. And and it looks like a trend that isn't uh, being broken anytime soon. You know, today we saw C.J. Miles uh, get a DNP CD, which I don't think he's had all year or, or all of last year because he's been so bad with his shooting. And that that has hurt us terribly. So that's, to me, the, the biggest and most worrisome disappointment of all we don't have to be a great three ball shooting team but we at least have to be in the mix you know number 14 or whatever uh on a percentage basis and and taking an average number of shots because we've got lots of tools we can still score inside unlike most teams and we still are a very effective defensive team so we don't our our entire future is not tied to the three ball but we've got to make some of them so that's been the biggest disappointment for me i also have that on my list it is second on my list and you're right, It's it's been concerning, and I wrote before the season it was one of Toronto's biggest strengths. And looking at the roster, you would think it would be one of Toronto's biggest strengths, except some of their key shooters just have shot significantly below their career averages. Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Fred VanVleet, and C.J. Miles have all seen a drop of at least five percentage points in their three-point percentage. And quite frankly, it's amazing it hasn't crippled the offense. You would think seeing all these guys shoot so much worse than their career average, you would have a significant drop-off in offense. Obviously, that hasn't been a case so far this season. And you added Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Both those guys have been spectacular. But the rest of the team has just been awful from behind the line, and I'm not sure the reasoning of it. (laughs) I'm sure Nick Nurse would like to know, so if you can figure it out, send him a note. Yeah, it's it's incomprehensible that it's been so bad. I mean, you know, the crazy part about it is we're 26 and 10. We're the best team in the damn league. 
And where would we be had we been even an average three-ball shooting team? We might be 30 wins. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. For, I guess I'll kind of go individual by individual. Are you worried? Yeah. Obviously, you're worried about C.J. Miles at this point. I have to believe he's the most troublesome due to, one, his reliance on the three-point shot, and, two, how poorly he shot it so far this season, receiving the first DMP coach's decision of the year. Yeah, because he's supposed to be the 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 guy you can count on for points in the second unit. The rest of the guys can run around and do their thing, but not with with Pascal having been promoted to the first unit, which is fine. And of course, Jakob Pertl in San Antonio, we need him more than ever back there to to be the guy who can hit the key shots, be the veteran who can calm everybody down, and and uh, not not do any harm for the for the bench mob. But he has done harm. And it's really been uh, very damaging. Would you pull him from the rotation completely at this point? Wow. Well, as you know, I wrote a post in which I was pushing for the promotion of uh, Jordan Lloyd from the uh, Raptors 905. I, I would really like to see him get some get some moments in place of CJ. And so the answer to your question, I think, is yes. I, I would like to see him perhaps getting more of these DNP CDs or even not dressing uh, for two or three games, and let's see what happens in the new year. Sure. Yeah, I think it's totally reasonable at this point. Uh, I've been, I haven't been the biggest Norman Powell supporter over the past you know, year and a half. However, at this point, at least he's giving you some defensive options for CJ. He's done a little bit more this year. I'll give him credit than his typical, than last season when he was almost exclusively a three-point shooter. But the positives of him being on the court when he can't shoot, just they're not great enough to outweigh any kind of improvements that he's made inside the arc. And he and he hasn't. <laughs> he has not been a threat inside the arc. So even even if you, you know you chase him off the line, which he's not making the shot anyway, so there's no harm done there. But he's not making his floaters. He's not making his mid-range. There's just nothing happening. So he's, he's got to be dropped. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's another one who struggled up to this season. He's someone who's playing a lot better as of late. I'm encouraged by Fred Van Vliet and the game that he's kind of displayed over the past two weeks. Versus the Heat today, he obviously had fourth, second-half three-pointers, which was gigantic for Toronto and monumental in helping them have the comeback. Fred Van Vliet, I think, is someone who's right on the verge of kind of breaking out of the slump if you wouldn't have said he's done it already. what Do you think he's you know, back on track to being the old Fred Van Vliet of last year? Oh, I think, I think Fred Van Vliet has been in many ways the unsung hero of the team because think about where we'd be with Kyle sitting as much as he's been sitting recently. If Fred wasn't scoring, we'd be, we'd be in deep wax. You know, I mean, DeLon Wright has his moments, but that's all he has. He hasn't, he hasn't got his quarters or his games. He's just got his moments, and that's not good enough. But Fred is, is out there. He's getting, he's getting his points. He's making the threes in the fourth quarter, which is amazing. Uh, he did that the other night uh, at the game I was at with in, against Indiana, when we sh- a game we should have lost. And uh, I, I, he's getting some assists. I mean, he's, he's not Kyle Lowry and never will be, but he's a – a really useful guy and, and has stepped in 
and handle himself extremely well. So I've been very pleased with Fred. And you're right. He was not having fun earlier, but he's been much better recently just when we needed him to be. Right. His three-point shooting has turned around here as of late over the past 10 games or so. Uh, someone who really struggled with it early in the year. And for Toronto, you just hope that for a lot of the guys at small sample size, and Fred is one who kind of has progressed back to his career mean and his career average. And as Danny Green and Kawhi, well, not Kawhi Leonard, but as Danny Green starts to cool off, I think is pretty likely. You hope some of these guys like Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka go back to their career averages shooting from three. So, Brian, I had three-point shooting as well. Why don't you hit me with another bad surprise for the Toronto Raptors so far this year? Well, uh, the injuries have been very disappointing. Uh, it's been very nasty for Nick Nurse as a rookie head coach to try to patch together lineups when guys are uh, they're, they're showing up lame kind of on game day. So it's, how do you game plan when a guy says, I can't play at 5 o'clock in the afternoon? at a 7.30 game, but I'm not blaming anybody. That's just the way it is. So get, getting hurt, of course, uh, Jonas going down, and, and he'll be out for a while yet. There's nothing you can do but a broken thumb. You can't play with can't play without your thumb. So so that's been the other uh, disappointment. And, and if we can kind of keep the, the ship afloat and, and have everybody come back by game 65 or so, that'll be, that'll be a tremendous accomplishment. Coming off last season when Toronto had unbelievable luck in the health department, it's really been a total 180 for this squad who it doesn't seem has had their full slew of players for almost two months now. As JV's been out for a significant time. Kyle Lowry's missed significant time throughout the year. OG Ananobi was out for the beginning of the season. Kawhi Leonard hasn't played back-to-backs. You know, really this team has seen key parts of it missed by all their pieces and it's hard like you said for Nick Nurse to find a consistent rotation when you need to rely on different guys for each week in a way it's been nice that this team I think had a few too many rotation players and it's been a way of keeping guys happy in the fact that they don't receive the uh, MP coach's decision because we just are rotating players but at the same time it's really hard to find continuity and a rotation that works consistently when you have different players available for that rotation each night. Well, exactly. You're promoting guys and pushing them in the lineup when they're when they're not ready. I mean, I, I think it's admirable how much they, they, they seem to think of Lorenzo Brown's capabilities, but, man, he, he sure has kept them hidden as far as I can see. For example, and you know Chris Boucher, God bless him, but it, it, he's he's if he's any more than a career backup, I'll be a very surprised guy. And yet these guys have had to play significant minutes. And the same with Greg Monroe. You know, I mean he's doing his best, but Greg Monroe is not the guy that that we can count on for 20 minutes a game from now until the end of the season. Because if we do, we're not going to win. Yeah, absolutely. You saw the Chris Boucher experiment and very fast for Toronto. They they played him with JV and Serge Ibaka out for a couple games, and they played him in the first one, and then right away went to the all-small lineup rather than playing Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher, I still see kind of the, the underlines of a good NBA player there. He has three-point shooting ability. He's long. 
He has an ex extremely long wingspan. However, he's just he doesn't know where to be yet on defense. He doesn't have the defensive awareness to play consistently, and obviously at his weight is just shoved around way too much. He's someone who you keep in your G League team to develop and hopefully turn into a backup, but he's not there yet. No. No, not at all. I mean, he, he's a guy who needs to hit the weight room for you know, six months in, in the off season just to get himself up from the, from 210 pounds at seven feet. I mean, that's just crazy because you're right. All, all that's going to happen is the, the, the nasty boys in the NBA will just shove him aside. And then Greg Monroe is someone who, you know, he's a nice veteran presence when he's in there. He all, He rebounds offensively well. But at this point in time, the game has just passed him by. He's too slow on defense. He's not active enough in the pick and roll. And you see his plus minus every time that he's on the court, he gets absolutely killed. And that's just because defensively he can't hang with really anybody at this point in time, especially the quick centers that are just going to absolutely tear him apart. I'm afraid so. So I will go with my second bad surprise of the season, and that is the performance of the bench as a whole. The bench was Toronto's biggest strength, I would argue, last season. That five-man bench mob unit was one of the best lineups in the entire NBA. I believe the second-best lineup of all five-man groups that played at least 250 minutes, only behind the Philadelphia 76ers starters. Toronto's bench this season has been absolutely terrible. There's been a couple of bad performances among them. What has been your overall takeaway for the bench of struggles? What do you think is causing them one, and what do you think that Toronto can do to kind of fix it moving forward? Well, as I mentioned, we lost a couple of guys who were who were deserved to be to be moved on in in Siakam and uh, Pirtle from the bench mob. So now we've got Norm, who's who's back and who has been how do I say not harmful so far. He's been he's been okay. Let's give him that. He's been good since his return, at least. Yeah, he's been good since his return. Yeah, but Norm has not been. You know, he's not been great. So he hasn't been some kind of a leader. We've already we've already beaten up CJ. So him not scoring and and playing poorly as as a defender has been really disappointing. We don't have any meaningful rebounding back there because of the recent injuries. This, you know, it, it was so pleasant at the beginning of the year when. Nick could say, well, tonight I think I'd rather have JV start, and then you've got this presence called Ibaka coming in and, and being the uh, the guy who's the ba the backbone of the second unit, or vice versa. But he doesn't have that anymore. So that's really hurt. And uh, so there's just been a whole combination of things that's meant that the bench mob has become kind of the bench, the bench flaw or the bench weakness, whatever way you want to word it. Yeah, a couple guys that I think have taken significant steps back this season is one DeLon Wright in a contract year. I had very high hopes for him this season. He's been significantly worse than he was last year. He's really lacked aggression in the times that he's been out on the court. And I'm not sure why typically with guys in contract year, you see them take more shots and be more aggressive going to the hoop, maybe even at the detriment of the team. But so far this season, DeLon has really, kind of been passive, and I'm not exactly sure of the reason. And the other one is OG Ananobi. Part of that was, I think, the role for him last year as the fifth man in a successful unit was 
what he needs to play at this point in his career. I don't think he's comfortable being a high-usage guy, and we've seen as he's played with the bench here, his defensive prowess is wasted somewhat because you don't have as many scores with the second unit because obviously that's why they're playing the second unit. And two, when he's asked to play a more high-volume role, he's not as comfortable in that role, and we've seen his efficiency suffer because of it. Well, yeah, I, I, this, I agree. It's it, there's no way to deny the fact that uh, Delon has not take the, taken the step forward that we would have liked to see him take by any stretch of the imagination. His, his three point shooting is he's been another guy has been a disappointment. I thought that he'd get closer to I don't know 36 to 38 percent or something like that, and he's been at 33 percent, which just isn't good enough for for him. Uh, you can't step forward and get the extra minutes when when your three ball shooting, particularly when he's had a lot of open looks. So that's been disappointing. Um, OG, I'm not too concerned about him. I mean, I hear everything you're saying. He's he fouls too much. He gets a lot of reaching fouls, like a lot of careless things. Yes, he gets some steals, which is pleasant. I'm not sure that the trade off is particularly uh, good. Doesn't doesn't work out terribly well in our favor. So I, I'd rather see him have a little bit more discipline on defense that he's showed. He's 21. I don't think he's fully into his body yet. Uh, I, I would not give up on that guy by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's going to be a terrific player. Uh, but, but yes, he has not taken the kind of ad- advancement like somebody like Pascal has, who's been phenomenal in his in his in this season compared to last. Absolutely. I, I think it's less of a statement about OG and Anobi the player and more statement about his role. I just I don't think he's as comfortable in the role that he's currently playing this season as he was last year when he was surrounded by a little more talent offensively and you know asked to do a little less. I think that is the better role for him at this point in time. So I'm not sure how Toronto is able to fix that. Today you saw OG sub in very early and Pascal played a large percent of his minutes with the bench. I would like to see that going forward. I I think you still have to give Pascal the start because he's played so well and you don't want to bring that guy off the bench. But I would like to see kind of that early substitution to allow OG to play more with the starters and allow Pascal to be more of a creator with the second unit. Interesting. Well, we'll have to watch for that then and see if, we, if that is in fact a, a tactic that uh, Nick employs. Brian, what is your third weakness or third bad surprise for the Toronto Raptors so far this season? Uh, well, I, I would say we covered it earlier when we when we, when we uh, took uh, CJ behind the woodshed and slapped him out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I think we, we'll just leave that one as it is. I mean, we, there's not much more we can say. He's just been a huge disappointment, and uh, I don't I don't know what you can do at this stage. You know, he's he's. Uh, not a young man by any stretch of the imagination. He he's got to be bitterly disappointed at how he's playing, and, but he's going to find himself um, shunted to the sidelines more and more. I think unless something miraculous happens in the next two weeks. My third bad surprise of the season was is the rebounding as a whole. Now Toronto wasn't a great rebounding team last season. They have played significantly smaller this season, so I didn't yeah. expect rebounding by any means or imagination to be a strength of this team. However, I didn't expect it to be this bad. Yeah. <laughs> I can't argue with that. It's 
it has not been a strength. That hasn't been a strength of the team for several years. And I can only say that I don't want to treat JV as some sort of um, uh, returning hero, but it w I really think that that there will be a lot more rippling effect should when he comes back, and he because he has been very good on the defensive boards time and time again. He's created a lot of situations where the other team has virtually given up on the boards, and, and they've been a one and done uh, opponent because he's grabbed so many of those boards. So I think I think that situation should rectify itself. I hope so, anyway. Right. I I think it will improve some... Oops, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it will improve somewhat. I am... I don't think that will be a strength of this team ever. If Toronto kind of rebounded at the 20th, or 20th position of the NBA, so if they ranked better than about a third of the teams, to me, that would be good enough considering that you know, they're playing small and they're willing to play small to receive the other benefits of playing small, but you're just going to give some up on the rebounding advantage. Well, I think you have to. I mean, I think the Raptors are really small. You know, when when Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are on the floor at the same time, and they are a lot, those are two of the tiniest guards in the league. Yeah, you, you don't see a lot of teams run two sub-6-1 guys out on the floor at the same time let alone, you know, OG Ananobi just playing significant time at power forward, and he's a natural small forward, in my opinion, at least offensively. So we see Toronto playing small often. So with that being said, you just want to kind of survive on the glass, even if you're not dominating teams. Well, as, as I said to, to uh, my, my son at the Indiana game when I was looking out there, I said, this looks like a high school game because both teams had gone super small. It was really remarkable. It was, it, I, was a, I haven't seen anything like that in years and years, and yet there they were, tiny guys running around. Playing zone. Looks even more high schoolish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, Brian, uh, what is your best surprise of the season so far for Toronto? Um. Well, I'm gonna, I've got sort of 1 and 1A, one so let me give you 1, and then you can ask me at some point for 1A, But uh, I, because it's so close in my mind. The, I expected Kawhi Leonard to be terrific, despite his health problems. He has been. But I think the most remarkable thing is that when he's been sitting, we've still won. And that I was not expecting. That's a, that's a great point there. Toronto has been surprisingly effective when Kawhi sat, and when you consider the fact that Toronto is playing a majority of those games on second nights of back-to-backs because he's sitting out back-to-backs, that makes mm -hmm. their winning percentage even more impressive when he's not played. So that's a great point. When talking about Kawhi Leonard, you have to remember that they're already kind of predispo predisposed to losing those games already because they're second nights of the back-to-back. So their play without him on the court has been absolutely spectacular. Yeah, and I, I don't think anybody could possibly have predicted that. Yeah, I, you'll see every once in a while when they kind of run into a team, that's a little too much for them. Philadelphia was a good example of that the other night, where if they have Kawhi Leonard, perhaps they have a chance to win that game. But without Leonard in it, it seemed kind of like a foregone conclusion on the second night to have a back-to-back-to-back. -to -back -to -back. Ooh, just one back-to-back. -back. Um <laughs> On the second night, it's it's going to be difficult anyways, and without Kawhi, if you run into an elite team, it's nearly impossible. However, 
Toronto without Kawhi Leonard, I still believe would be behind Indiana. They would be, you know, the sixth most talented or the fifth most talented team in the NBA or in the Eastern Conference. So I think their success without Kawhi Leonard, you're right, is a bit surprising because you just don't see teams without their superstar. But this team is talented enough that they can win games without Kawhi Leonard. It shouldn't be that big of a shock, I guess. Well, no, it should, maybe not that big of a shock, but it's still been an extremely pleasant surprise. No, yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah, uh, I will go with my biggest surprise of the NBA season, my best surprise of the NBA season, and that's Pascal Siakam and the play he's had. Pascal has went from kind of the theory of a player where we talked about, you know, he can do all these different things and he can kind of slice to the basket and handle the ball a little bit, and he's become an actual elite NBA player. I think he has an outside chance at an all-star nomination this year. Would he get that in the West? Absolutely not. However, he is in the Eastern Conference, so I think there's an outside chance that he gets nominated for an Eastern Conference all-star bid. He's been shooting much better than we've ever seen in his career. Those jumpers are still largely unguarded. It's not like he's shooting contested three-point shots, but he's at least hitting enough that the defense has to start to defend him out there. He's been fantastic defensively. He's been used as kind of a Swiss Army knife, been able to move on to different opponents depending on the matchup. And then, really, his playmaking's taken another step. He initiates the offense quite a bit now. He'll bring the ball up the court very often throughout the game and has really kind of went from a guy that you saw a lot of flashes of to now being a legitimate NBA player. Well, yeah, he's, he's on my list as well. There's, there's no way to overstate how remarkable he has been this year. His, his spin moves when he, when he goes to the hoop, uh, and, and I certainly agree with you about it, about him handling the ball. He looks like a point guard and, you know, 20 to 25 percent of, of the game for the Raptors. It's really quite amazing. I've toyed with the idea of seeing if he could actually play the position. I wouldn't be surprised. But I mean, everything he's been asked to do, he's been better than than you could have expected. So right. he's he's been tremendous. Yeah, I I can't speak highly enough of him, Brian. What is your second big surprise of the season? Well, you nailed it, him. <laughs> we there's there's no way that to to, uh, to miss that one. I'd have to be watching another team. So so he's been superb. Well, then I'll go ahead and just move to your third one. Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I've been I've been pleasantly surprised with the, with the way Fred has uh, has handled the the pressure of being a starter. So that's been kind of sort of three A. Three B is the fact that I think that Serge Ibaka is playing much better this year than he did last last. I think he's been much more consistent. He's been better on both offense and defense. Uh, his his jump shot has seems to have returned. I mean, tonight he was a bit off, but he hasn't played in a couple of games, so that's okay. Uh, but he's been very reliable, and um, I'm really happy. He seems to have found a role that he likes. He's not, doesn't seem to be at all uh, fussed about the fact that he's asked to sit on occasion in favor of JV as a starter. Some guys get their uh, knickers in a twist when that happens, but that doesn't seem to be him. So I'm really happy with Serge. He's been absolutely fantastic this year, as you've stated. I, I do wonder if this is him playing better or if this is simply the fact that he was playing out of position all of last season. In today's NBA, I believe that Serge Ibaka is a pretty clear five at this point in time. 
We've seen him play almost no power forward this season. His minutes with JV have been almost zero. They've played a little bit together. That was due to injury and kind of uh, Danny Green fouled out in the game, so they had to play together during an overtime. However, he's best casted as a center. I think that's pretty clear at this time. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the two of them playing, playing, uh, switching off each other at center has been tremendously successful, and I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll see Serge Ibaka play legitimate minutes at power forward for Toronto at any point this season. Obviously, with injuries, you can never say that they won't go to it if they need to. But at this point in time, to me, Serge Ibaka is essentially your starting center. Perhaps they'll continue to give JV these, you know, throwing games to... I think it's more for throwing JV a bone as he's forced to come off the bench for his first for the first time in his career and a way to keep him, you know, active and engaged. At this point, I think whenever the playoffs come around, you'll see Serge Ibaka playing 28 to 30 minutes at center with JV playing just 18 to 20, kind of in a reduced role due to his limitations defensively. Uh, yeah, I I would concur with 90% of that. The only thing I would take issue with is the fact that the JV has shown himself to be an effective scorer down low more consistently this year than he has in many seasons in the past. And if we need that kind of thing, if, if uh, Nick thinks that we can beat up the opposing center, particularly in the playoffs, then I wouldn't be surprised to see JV getting some significant minutes and getting the ball a lot to go and do some damage down there. Right. I, I just looking at their significant playoff matchups, I don't see, you know, I don't think he'll play the majority of minutes against Philly. I don't think he'll play the majority of minutes against Boston or Milwaukee, certainly not Milwaukee. So in the series that really matter, I think Serge will get the more significant timeshare. However, you're right. I do expect JV to play, you know, an important role for this team and, Particularly when in the minutes that he's in, I think he'll be a high usage player who will, you know, be used very often, albeit in a low minute. Well, JV comes from the European tradition and says team comes first, so I don't think we're going to have a problem with that. I always worry about the psychology of the of the dressing room. Are the players getting along, or or, or not? Because you can see teams that that blow up when when there's issues. The psychology of the dressing room is important. You don't want unhappy players. You don't want troublemakers. I don't think we've got anything like that. It'll be interesting, since I'm on the topic, to see what happens now if CJ does, in fact, get dropped from the rotation, how he copes with that. Well, CJ's a veteran, so I hope that he can take it well. You're right. You never know, so I don't want to presume anything. However, as as long as CJ's been in the league, I don't think you survive that long if you're not a great teammate. And from everything I've seen out of CJ, he appears to be a team-first guy. That being said... I don't think anyone is happy when they're out of the rotation. You know, no one wants to hear that they're not good at their job. So I, I don't foresee it being a huge problem with Toronto, although I wanted, I'm sure he's not happy about it. Uh, to your point about JV, that's why I agree with Nurse giving him the occasional start every once in a while. Even if it's not the most effective thing for that game, I think think it can be the most effective thing for the Toronto Raptors over an 82-game season, where you're giving JV these starts to keep him happy and to keep him engaged, even if they aren't 
the best thing on a night-to-night -night basis. Over the long term, I think it's helpful to the chemistry of your squad. I, I think it is too. I also think it's it's always useful, as far as I'm concerned, to give uh, the opposing teams other looks right from right from the opening tip. Yeah, you know that's something that you have to game plan every every time you play Toronto. You don't know who the starting center is, so that's something that's got to be frustrating if you're you know this opposing center when you don't know if you're going to play Serge Ibaka or JV, who have not only are different players, but significantly different players in terms of playing style. That's right. I will give you my second biggest surprise of this season, and that is the Toronto Raptors offense despite their shooting woes. This team, as you mentioned, has really struggled shooting the three ball. They've had a lot of guys who have shot significantly worse than their career average, and yet here we are near January 1st of the new year, and Toronto has the second-best offensive rating in the NBA, only behind the Golden State Warriors, who obviously are a turbocharged offense. The fact that this offense hasn't missed a beat despite shooting so poorly from three is really remarkable, and these guys are shooting worse than their career averages, yet here you see Toronto dominating the offense, offensive end only behind the Golden State Warriors, who are an all-time great team. <laughs> yes, they are. At some point, they, those guys better find themselves, though, because they're they're not they're, they're a shadow of themselves so far. Sure, yeah. I mean, a shadow of themselves is still twenty-three and twelve. So, you know, you're right that they've been significantly worse this season, and their net rating is pretty bad. I think a lot of that has to do with just apathy for the regular season, but. For Toronto to be behind only them, despite shooting that poorly, I think is really a testament to Nick Nurse and what he's done with the offense this season, and really a testament to Kawhi Leonard to be able to carry them through rough stretches shooting the ball. Yeah, it, it kind of gives isolation ball a good name. When <laughs> Kawhi, Kawhi is like the uh, second coming of DeMar DeRozan on occasion, and but I would say he's at, he's at least as reliable as DeMar was, and of course he's got the three-point shot that DeMar never did have, so... I have no problem with isolation ball when it's when it's necessary. You don't ever want to rely on isolation heavily for your offense, but there are times, like you said, at the end of a shot clock where you simply need to run in isolation due to time restraints, and Kawhi Leonard's been extremely effective in those situations so far this season, and that's one of the ways that Toronto's offense has been so successful. Exactly. My last great surprise of this season is the play of Danny Green. I expected Danny Green to be a starter when he came over. I expected him to play very well, but I did not expect this kind of renaissance from Danny Green. He's shooting greater than 40% from three for the first time in a long time during his career and really has been Toronto's most consistent player when you talk about, you know, other than Pascal Siakam, when you talk about Kawhi Leonard missing a lot of time and Kyle Lowry missing a lot of times. I'm not sure you can name a player on this team, perhaps maybe Pascal Siakam and Serge Ibaka, that's been more consistent than Danny Green on a night-in, night-out basis. He's been tremendously consistent. He's a wonderful defender. Uh, he, he, you're right, he's hitting his open threes to, to the tune of much better than anybody else, so they, they should be taking lessons from him. So, yeah, I, I agree. I did, not, I did not envision getting as much production out of Danny Green when the trade was made. 
while just kind of to inform everyone on how he's shooting this season, this is the best three-point percentage he's had in five years. This is his best effective field goal percentage he's had since 2012 when he was 25 years old. He's been an absolute asset on defense, especially in the terms of he's been able to take the second option in many ways. And when Danny Green's on the second option and chasing three screens, we've seen him kind of lock up Danny Green. He's best, I think, off the ball, kind of chasing around shooters. He's been spectacular on that side of the ball and having the best offensive season he's had since his age 25 season. I don't think anyone, as great as, as high as expectations could have been, I'm not sure anyone had expectations this high for Danny Green. No. And he's been healthy. He's been consistent. I mean, he missed one game. Big deal. You know, it's it's he's been tremendous. And uh, and God, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who would, who would be covering for him if if Danny wasn't doing what he's doing. We certainly would not have the record we have without him playing as well as he's been playing. Do you worry about his minutes at all? He's been someone who's been banged up the past couple of years. He's averaging a career high in minutes played per game. Is he someone that you think needs to be reduced, kind of down to twenty five minutes a game, or do you think? You know, he's been playing fine so far this season, and maybe there's not much to worry about. No, I'd like to see it reduced. But that means that the second unit has to do more scoring so that there's more of a, a gap that they we don't need him as much. You can get him off the floor instead of these, these nail-biting endings that we've ha- been through lately because the offense has been so inefficient. Um, but if if we can get him down to 25 or 24 minutes per game at his age... I think that would be uh, tremendous. Right. It's it's easy a lot of times for people like me and you to say a player needs to have reduced minutes. And I'm with you. I would like to see Danny Green around that 25 mark. But when you're Nick Nurse and your coaches are notoriously short-sighted, on it, and I think for good reason, it's their job to win the upcoming game. It's not their job to focus on the long term. When you're in a game and DeLon Wright's been playing awful, as he has during large portions of the season – it's really hard to go against playing Danny Green 30 minutes a night because, you know, if you're trying to win a game against Philadelphia in the middle of December, it's much easier to rely on Danny Green, who's been playing spectacularly, than to kind of risk it playing a player who has not played as well this season. Well, that's that's always the conflict with a coach, isn't it? He's selling long-term versus immediate results, and... And I hope that uh, the Nick can balance those two things because he needs to. If if this team is going to be successful, he has to find ways to to keep the minutes down for guys in the 30s like like Danny and Kyle Lowry when he gets back. And uh, of course, Kawhi is still not 100. percent So you know, usage minutes is really really important for him. I couldn't agree more. Brian, the Raptors are currently one and a half games up on the Bucks right now. They are tied in the loss column, which to me, when you're talking about good teams, the loss column is much more indicative of what you need to look at than the win column because obviously when teams are this good, they accumulate wins much faster than they accumulate losses. Is there anything that you are looking to see over the next you know, couple of weeks that Toronto needs to do to hold off Milwaukee in the time being? I'd like to see some fresh blood. I'd like to see some some uh, more, maybe uh, at the risk of contradicting what I said before, I wouldn't mind seeing 
some more of Chris Boucher. I'd certainly like to see some more Jordan Lloyd. I've seen more than enough of Lorenzo Brown, so that's not part of the picture. But I think that it's it's what you were talking about earlier about how the second unit has not been successful this this season so far. Then if they're not successful, you got to try somebody else. And uh, and the way to do that is to reach down to the minors where where the Raptors 905 has been a tremendous resource for the team over the last couple of seasons. And there's no reason not not to give uh, Jordan Lloyd his opportunities. But he's been uh, he was picked up by SB Nation as a first team All Star for this to this point in the season in, in the G League. I couldn't agree more with you, Brian. Anything? Any last things you want to touch on? No, I think we've we've covered a lot of ground tonight. I'm happy we had the opportunity to do this.